Well, welcome everyone. Um, wow, this is pretty impressive. I wasn't expecting uh, this kind of crowd for uh, the weather. So this is awesome. Uh, very well done. The reward is in heaven. <laughs> there is some breakfast downstairs too. <laughs> uh, but thanks for coming. Um, last week we uh, we did a Thanksgiving sermon. I hope you guys all had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if it was with friends and family or just... Uh, Home alone, I just, uh, my hope and prayer was that uh, you had a lot to be uh, thankful for and appreciative and, and grateful for. Um, if you were here last week, we did have a little bit of homework. Um, and I just kind of challenged everyone here to just write things down throughout the week that they're thankful for in, in the midst of it that the Lord reveals to them. And it could have been big things or small things. Um, but if you did that, I hope that, uh, that it just kind of just immersed your heart uh, into a heart of gratitude or immersed you in, into the spirit of the Lord and just uh, allowed you to see his goodness and his faithfulness in your life. Um, you know, for those perhaps facing a difficult chapter of life or unexpected hardships or adversity, I do pray that doing something like this and seeing the things that you're thankful for kind of help you uh, push through those, those chapters in life. Um, so this morning, though, we're going to do, uh, uh, we're, we're going back into our uh, sermon series in the uh, Minor Prophets, Minor Prophets, Major Stories, uh, in the book of Amos. We've been in the book of Amos for quite a while, and uh, there's just so much uh, to glean from the book of Amos. And so we're going to be in chapter 7 this morning, and then we're going to, after this week, we're going to pause and uh, from this sermon series once more and, and go into a Christmas series, as it's already December, which is <laughs> crazy to think about, but uh, the weather is reminding us that it is winter today, so, um, so we're in December. That's, that's pretty amazing. But uh, as we begin, I just want to open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for just allowing us to be here this morning. And uh, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your word that you've given to us, that you would just reveal yourself to us uh, more and more each day. Lord, I just pray that we would be students of the word, that we would be immersed in your presence uh, daily and moment by moment, Lord, that we be people of prayer, we be people of obedience, Lord. And as we study the book of Amos today, I just pray that uh, you would just reveal yourself to us further and that we would just draw closer to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, this morning we're beginning or continuing our sermon series uh, through the book of Amos right now, and we're going to be in chapter 7, and so I'll give you a moment to turn there uh, before we dig in. But Amos chapter 7, it begins really the next major uh, division in the book of Amos. Chapters 3 through 6, as we saw, uh, documented the reasons for God's judgment on the people of Israel. Uh, but these final three chapters, 7 through 9, um, Amos reveals the result of God's judgment. And so what we see is he's going to be given five symbolic visions of the things that were to come. Now, oftentimes, prophets were given a vision, and the Lord would ask them a simple question, what do you see? And, uh, and the prophets would describe to the Lord what they saw, and they would wait for the Lord to give them an explanation of what that vision meant. So here we begin in Amos chapter 7. Uh, Amos, the prophet, is given a vision of locust, beginning in verse 1. So this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the, when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. 
When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be said the Lord. So the first of the visions was that of locusts. And we've seen this throughout the the Minor Prophets. um, These uh, coming locusts that come and just ravage the land. um, Just overrun their crops. And and send famine uh, into the land. And so Amos sees a vision of locusts, and this is a future vision. He's seeing it, what the Lord is going to do to the nation of Israel. And they're devouring the crops, it says, between the king's mowings and the, and the latter crops. Now how this worked is the, the crops would come up, and the first cut would be given to the king and, uh, and his people and his household. And so they would receive their share first, and then the crops would grow once more, and then when those were cut, they would be given to the nation or the people and uh, so in this vision that Amos received, the locust came in between these crops. So the, the king had already received his portion and then the people were awaiting their portion. But the locust came in and ravaged everything that was there. And so the people were without uh, any food. They had nothing to eat and so they would thus starve to death. And so as Amos sees this vision, what is his response? What does he do? It shows us right here in, uh, in verse 2 that he intercedes on behalf of the people. He says, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Jacob being the nation of Israel. Now, does this nation deserve punishment? As we've seen throughout the book of Amos, yes, they deserve punishment. Time and time again, the Lord has sent prophet after prophet, um, calling for them to turn from their, their wickedness and their sin and their idolatry, and, and calling him, them back to himself that he may relent from his punishment. You know, he says, seek me and live uh, in, the, in chapter 5 of Amos over and over again. Uh, so yes, they're deserving of this punishment, but Amos is saying, please don't do it. Right? Forgive them. He's interceding on behalf of the people. It's similar to Moses, right? You know, essentially God said, I'm going to destroy all these people with you, Moses. I'm going to, I'm going to start over with you. And Moses says, don't do that, right? You know, what would the Egyptians say? You, you led them out of our land and then you couldn't take us to the promised land? What would the, what would the people in the surrounding nations say about you? And so he says, Lord, don't do it. He intercedes. And we see that in that, in that uh, story as well that God relents. Now, some of your versions uh, in Amos chapter 7, verse 3, uh, may say that God repented. That's kind of a curious word, isn't it? That God repented. What does this mean? Uh, I think scripture is very clear in the book of Numbers that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. So what is this verse trying to tell us? Uh, Pastor John Piper, he explains it this way. He says, God's repentance is not like man's. I take that to mean that God is not taken off guard by unexpected turns of events like we are. He knows the future. As Isaiah 42.9 says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before the spring forth. Before they spring forth, I tell you, I tell you of them. He says, nor does God ever sin. So his repentance is not owing to lack of foresight nor to folly. Rather, the repentance of God is his expression of a different attitude and action about something past or future. Not because events have taken him off guard, but because events make the expression of a different attitude more fitting now than it would have been earlier. God's mind changes, he says, not because it responds to unforeseen circumstances, but because he has ordained that his mind accord with the way he himself orders the changing events of the word of the world, excuse me. 
In other words, we're very limited in our vocabulary to describe the actions of the infinite and sovereign God. We do the best we can with what we have, but we find here um, is that Amos is interceding on behalf of his people. And as I said before, you can recall back, um, Moses did the same thing, Abraham did the same thing. Uh, When Lot, who was his nephew, was living um, in and near Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord revealed to Abraham that he was going to wipe Sodom and Gomorrah off the face of the earth. They were going to be destroyed. And so the the Bible tells us that Abraham begins to reason with God, right? He prays, God, just please don't don't destroy the city. What if you find 50 righteous? Will you save the city? He says, yes. He goes, what about 40? Yes, 30. You know, he keeps talking them down. Eventually he gets, what about for 10 righteous? Will you save the city? And the Lord responds that he will relent on his judgment for 10 righteous people in the city. And sadly, in such a large city, they couldn't even find 10 righteous people. But what we see in the story as well is that Abraham was interceding on behalf of Lot and his family. Intercession is such an important part of prayer. And there's many aspects to prayer. Whether it's uh, worship, thanksgiving, uh, petitions, confessions. But intercession is that of praying on behalf of others, right? You're interceding for them, standing in the gap, as it were, going before the Lord on their behalf. Those who are lost, those who are sick, those who are far from God, those who are struggling, we pray for them. An intercessory prayer is, a, is an intensive type of prayer. In fact, it's really, it's, it's one mark of a healthy church that's, that is the one that intercedes for one another. As we see in Ephesians 6, 17-18, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. And it says, Making supplication for all the saints. One of the beautiful purposes of the church is to be interceding for one another, praying for one another on their behalf. There's been many times I know in my life personally that I've been going through difficult times, exhaustion, um, a sense of just being overwhelmed. And in the midst of that feeling, the Lord's presence comes and it just fills me. And then, you know, I'll, I'll hear later on throughout the week that someone said, I've been, you know, the Lord laid you on my heart this week and I've been praying for you. And you say, oh, okay, I understand why, where, where that spirit came from now. I, I, I understand that there's people praying on my behalf. And that is such a humbling and wonderful thing to hear. And we all need prayer. I know that we all need prayer. And so it's so important that as believers, as, as a collective body of, of, of Christians, that we come together and we, we pray for one another, but we also pray for those uh, who don't know the Lord, for those who are struggling, for those who are far off. We pray for them. Jesus displayed this intercessory prayer for us when he prayed for his disciples. It's recorded in the book of John, chapter 17. Starting in verse 6, he says, I revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that they know everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me, they have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, he says, I pray for them... I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, because they are yours. But it shows us, and you can read um, chapter 17 of John throughout you, the, the entire prayer of Jesus, and you see that he is interceding on behalf of, of the people. Jesus intercedes for all believers. Romans 8.34 tells us that he's currently doing that at the right hand of the Father right now. Do you know who else is inter- interceding for you and I right now? The Holy Spirit. 
Romans 8.26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What an incredible truth for us this morning, right? That the, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is interceding on our behalf in this very moment, right now, that, that, that Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father right now. And I don't know about you, but I, I know I could surely use all the prayer I can get constantly, uh, 24-7. Now, our, uh, there's an author by the name of Bart Bile, and he explains it this way. He says, The exalted Son, being Jesus, seated at the Father's right hand, powerfully pleads our case, bringing forth His blood and righteousness, indeed His very person on our behalf. He defends us from all the accusations and condemnation of the evil one. And because the Father loves His Son, every promise is yes and amen in Christ. As if that were not grace enough, the Holy Spirit is also present on speakerphone, as it were. He's calling directly from our hearts, where He not only knows our every need more intimately than we do ourselves, but He also gazes into the depths of the Father's will with complete clarity. Since all His requests are perfectly in line with that will, and everything for which He asks echoes the request of the Beloved Son, His continual requests are continually granted. More than that, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, does not plead for us with disinterested duty. He intercedes, it says, with, um, with deep groans. The Spirit of God groans right alongside us as the whole creation as we wait for our full redemption. I think he explains that beautifully. But how incredible and how humbling to know that we have the intercession of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit right now in each and every moment of our lives. Also incredible is that God has given us the ministry of intercession for one another as well. And so I challenge you guys, if, you, if you're not people of prayer, and, and you know, I always say that that's really not one of my spiritual strengths, as it were, but it's so important, so vital that we are uh, just always in prayer. It tells us in First Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? It means to have a, a heart and a mindset that is always connected with the Father, right? Just always in prayer, ready to hear His voice, ready to, to, to speak to Him as well. And we just need to be people of prayer. But not just praying for ourselves, but praying for others as well. And that's the ministry we see here with Amos, as he enters into God's presence and he pleads with him to relent and have mercy upon Israel. And we see the response that the Lord listens and the Lord responds. Scripture tells us in James that we do not have because we do not ask. Now this, is, <laughs> this can be taken out of context, and I think it often does. <laughs> but uh, it does not mean that, that uh, he responds to yes with every, every request we have of him, you know. Especially if they're not in line with his will. You know, I could really use a new car. I want that new car, God. You know, <laughs> which one? The Ferrari? You know, it's not going to happen. You know, it's <laughs> surely, I guess you can ask for it, but don't expect everyone, every, every answer to be yes. However, if it's, if it's in line with his will, you know, just, he just tells us to ask, ask, and, and, I'll, and I'll give it to you. I remember as a kid, when I, when I, there was something I wanted, but I was, I was too nervous to ask my parents, you know, because <laughs> I was afraid that they were just going to be, are you nuts? No. And, uh, you know, my mom could always tell I, had, I wanted to ask her something, you know, because I'm kind of just following around the, 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 the house or whatever. And <laughs> this is when I was younger, by the way. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, she goes, what do you want? What do you want? Um, nothing. She goes, I know you want something. I can tell. You're following me around. What do you, what, just, just ask. You know, and I would ask, you know, can I have a cookie? 
But yeah, why, what, what's the problem? Why don't you just ask, you know? Um, but that's just how it is with the Lord, right? Just ask. Just ask. It's what he's telling us to do. Doesn't mean he's going to grant it the way we, we see fit in our own lives, and our will, but he will grant us a request if they're in line with his will. So with Amos, the people certainly did not deserve God's grace and relenting upon them. But with Amos's pleading and requesting, he just asked, you know, he just asked, Lord, just please, please don't do this. And the Lord responded to his request and he relented. And we simply just don't know until we ask. And in chapter 7, as it continues, Amos received another vision, beginning in verse 4. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and it was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. And so we see once more he intercedes on behalf of the people, and the Lord once more grants his request and relents from their impending judgment. But I love that Amos is able to go to the Lord and pray and that the Lord hears his voice and responds to him. Pastor Chuck Smith said the most important aspect of prayer is seeing God's will accomplished. That is the most important thing. But we need to know that, know that when we come to him, right? It's so important that we have to understand that he hears us, right? The God of creation, the God of the universe, he hears us. Right? And, and I think sometimes we can feel like we're not often heard, whether it's by people around us um, or in this world. Or sometimes we don't feel like we're heard from the Lord uh, because he's not responding in the way that we, that we expected. Or we're just not waiting patiently uh, upon his voice. And so we just feel like he's, he's not there. But he is, he's always there and he's always responding. Or always listening, excuse me. You know, and I think... Uh, it's so encouraging to know that our, that our prayers do not fall on deaf ears, right, ever. Our prayers do not fall on deaf ears. He always hears us. Um, but I was thinking about this, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a, as a pretty good listener. I'm sure my wife would tell you otherwise. She's like, what? No, he's not. Um, <laughs> uh, there's occasions where I ask my wife to repeat herself because I wasn't listening like I should. And I hope I'm not, I'm probably not the only husband here <laughs> that's guilty of that or, or wife for that matter. But... Uh, um, or I'll say something, you know, oh, did you see that? She's like, yes, I just mentioned that five minutes ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that. I was just making sure you, you saw that. Um, <laughs> there's far too many instances in which uh, that happens, but uh, fortunately for us, uh, God is a far superior listener than myself. He's, in fact, he's a perfect listener. He hears your petitions. He hears the cries of your heart. You never have to doubt that he hears you. And how encouraging for each of us this morning Again, that the God of the universe hears us. I mean, I, to me, that's just mind-blowing. And it's so humbling to, to know that, that I can enter into the throne room of God by the grace of Jesus Christ and, and just lay my petitions at his feet and he hears them. You know, I, you know I'm just not another annoying pest. You know, just go away. I'll, I'll get to it when I get to it. But he hears us and he responds to us. And he, and he desires that. That's what's even more incredible is that he desires to hear you. He desires to hear from you. But he also desires to speak to you, right? God is not a God of monologue, right? You know, and I think I, I've been guilty of that oftentimes where I go into prayer and I just give him my requests and then I leave, right? Like he's just going to, but he's waiting to respond to them. I'm not even there listening to his responses. But he's a, he's a God of dialogue, not one of monologue. He wants to speak. So we, we speak and he speaks to us. It's, it's a back and forth. It's a beautiful thing. 
What a privilege that prayer is, that we have that opportunity to even be in his presence and speak to the, to the creator of the universe. But then Amos receives one more vision here this morning uh, of a plumb line in verse 7. And I'll explain what that is in a, mo- in a moment. Let's just read through verses 7 through 9. This is what he showed me. Again, this is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Very good. (laughs) Uh, And then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise again against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So, to grasp this this uh, this part of scripture here, we have to understand what a plumb line is. Does anyone know what a plumb line is? Um, it's it's I don't think it's often used in today's culture, but uh, it was a cord and it had a lead weight uh, that was used by builders. They kind of hang them over a wall or next to a wall to make sure that they were building it properly, that it wasn't leaning one way or the other. You know, that it was in fact um, properly constructed up and down. It's kind of like a level that we use today, but it's just a little bit different. Um, but what the Lord is saying that is he's essentially judging the nation of Israel. Right? And he sets the plumb line by the people. He sets the plumb line by the sanctuaries, uh, which were now being used for idolatry. And he lays down the plumb line, and it's going to be revealed that they were out of alignment. Right? That they were not straight with the Lord. In fact, that they were, they were far from the Lord. That they were out of alignment. They weren't where they were supposed to be. And so the test of the plumb line weighed both their political and religious structures and there was no alternative but demolition. They were so far off that there was nothing to be done. They couldn't, you know, readjust something to get that, that them straightened back up. They had to be taken down. They had to be torn down and demolished. And so the Lord places the plumb line against the sanctuaries of idol worship and they had to come down. And he was going to use the Assyrians, as we've talked about previously, to bring this judgment about the Lord had been so patient with Israel, right? If you go through, he, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet. He's calling the nation back to himself that he may relent from their destruction. You know, he's, he's given them so many warnings, so many chances. You know, just come back to me. Come back. This doesn't have to happen. This, the, what I'm telling you does not have to happen if you just come back to me. If you drop your sin and you lay it there and you come back and live a life fully devoted to me, this does not have to happen. But time and again, they just continued to ignore the warnings. You know, this isn't going to happen to us. It'll come to the next generation. They'll worry about it. Or this isn't real. Whatever it was, they just decided that their life and the way they were living was far more important than being fully devoted to the Lord who had given them everything. And so they weren't even listening at this point. And so we see that this time here, unlike the first two, Amos doesn't even intercede this time. He knows this is it. Like, you've given me, you know, six chapters of warning before this, that this is going to happen. They're continually not listening. And he knows that it's, it's, this is what's going to befall the people. But this passage should make us all pause and evaluate our own lives, right? If the Lord is going to lay the plumb, the plumb line, as it were, up to your own life today, how would you measure up? Right? Would you be in alignment with the Lord, or is there some areas in your life that need readjusting? Maybe it's an attitude. Perhaps it's a relationship. But I can tell you what a good plumb line is for us this morning. It's God's Word, right? Lay your life next to God's Word, and and it'll tell you if you're in alignment with Him or not. It speaks. 
But the Lord reveals through the Word of God. He reveals through the Spirit of God. And so my prayer this morning is that the Lord would lay the plumb line of His Word to us and reveal us to us in our own lives this morning where we may be out of alignment with Him. And if there's areas that we are out of alignment, my prayer is that the Lord would tear them down. Right? Just like he, as we're going to see with the nation of Israel, he, t- he ends up tearing it down. But if there's areas in our life that are not fully devoted to the Lord, if they're uh, just not in alignment with Him and with His Word, I just pray that He would tear those down. Take those things out of your life. Whatever it is that we're holding on to that's not of Him, that He would just remove it from our lives. But following these three, first three visions and the prophecies that have been given, Amos is now on the receiving end of a little bit of persecution uh, by one whose name is Amaziah. And so we're going to look at that here in verse 10. All these words that he has spoken out against uh, Bethel and Gilgal and Dan and all these other cities and against uh, Israel and Judah um, has gotten back to some of the people that don't like what he has to say. And I can understand why they don't like what he has to say. He's speaking out against their lifestyle and where they're living in sin. So it tells us, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. It's important to know that Amos was not conspiring against the king of Israel. He was trying to warn the people, right? But he's being falsely accused here by the priest of Bethel named Amaziah. And so Amaziah tattles on him to the king, (laughs) runs to him for, for help. But this is what he tells the king. He says, For thus, in verse 11, Amos had said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. Now what he said isn't wrong. This is exactly the words that Amos had just spoken. This is the message that Amos shares with the nation of Israel, but it doesn't mean it was Amos's message, right? This is a message given to him by the Lord. He is speaking the words of the Lord himself. I'm, I'm very sure that Amos would have been content picking figs and, and herding his, his sheep and just living his life, but the Lord called him up out of that and to, and to, to be a prophet to the nation. Right? He called him to a much more difficult life and a difficult calling. It's not even clear that Amos wanted this job as a prophet. We see with many prophets, they didn't want the job, right? Um, Is it Jeremiah, I believe, is called the weeping prophet. For 40 years, he's giving these words and no one's listening to him. And he's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, he's just worn out and and broken down. It's not not the greatest job, but it's, it's an incredible opportunity that the Lord has given him. Something God called him to, and he's simply being obedient to the gall placed upon his life. But so here we see that Amaziah is accusing Amos falsely. And notice what it says here in verse 12. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away from the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it's a temple. Of the kingdom. So he's telling Amos, go, leave, go back to your small little, you know, ho-dunk town where you came from and go talk to the people there. Maybe they'll listen to you. We don't want to hear your words. You know, go, go back home. This is the king's sanctuary. This is his place, not yours. But now we see Amos' response beginning in verse 14. And as you see, I, I, I love his response because it just shows his faithfulness to the Lord. It shows his, his confidence in the Lord, speaking hard words that maybe he doesn't want to speak but need to be spoken. So then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, 
But I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, speaking to Amaziah, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Seems to simply tell him, look, I, I wasn't a prophet. You know, I think it's pretty clear I wasn't a prophet. My, my family wasn't, I didn't come from a family of prophets. You know, I'm a simple shepherd and a, and a fig picker. That's, that's what I was. But the Lord called me up out of that. You know, I'm not here by my own volition. I'm not here because I want to be. I'm here because the Lord's placed me here and has given me a word to speak to you. So he's, he's giving him exactly what the Lord is telling him to speak. You know, I, I think if he could pick the simple life of, of being a shepherd and, and picking figs, something that he's known all his life, in comparison to preaching a word of destruction to the masses, I, I don't know about you, but I'd probably pick the first one. <laughs> you know, it's a lot uh, simpler. There's less, there's less uh, worry about your life being taken from you because you're preaching um, such hardship. But, but he's faithful to the Lord. You know, the Lord tells him to get up, and he gets up, and he tells him to say these words. He says the words. And so now he's saying, you know, you're here telling me not to do what the Lord has told me to do. Now you're standing in opposition to the Lord, Amaziah. So here's the, here's the word that the Lord is giving to you now in verse 17. It says, Therefore thus says the Lord, speaking to Amaziah, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall be, fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Now, that verse right there doesn't scare you and standing in opposition to God, I don't know what does. Right? He's telling, he's telling um, Amos to, to go and do opposite of what God is calling him to do. He's standing in opposition to the Lord. And so, by doing that, this is, this is his punishment from the Lord. He's going to lose his wife. To, to, she will, she'll become a harlot, and his sons and daughters will fall by the sword. His land, everything he owns is going to be taken from him. He's going to die in an unclean land a, a, away from his home. And then he continues with his prophecy that Israel shall surely go into exile. Well, it's interesting that Amaziah, he says, you know, stop saying these things. He, he's, he's telling Amos to go home or never come back. But Amos still, in the midst of that, had to speak the word of the Lord, even when it wasn't an easy thing to say. Right? Those words, can you imagine saying that to somebody, even if they are your enemy or whatever, and standing in opposition to you, saying, okay, this is what the Lord's telling me. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the bearer of that kind of news, regardless of who it is, ever. But he had to speak the truth, and he did. I think there's times um, in our lives where our loyalties to the Lord are tested, and, and, and we are encouraged to remain loyal to the Lord as opposed to people. Right? There's times that this is going to happen in our own lives. Maybe it's already happened in your own life where, where you are, um, your loyalty is tested to the Lord. And the question that arises in these moments is, are we here to please God and bring glory to Him, or are we here for the praises of man? You know, Amos could have taken Amaziah's words and said, okay, I'm sorry, I'll leave you guys alone. And then just been done with it. But he had to continue to speak, even when it was hard to speak, the words that the Lord was giving him. You see the loyalty of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and there's so many other prophets that were tested time and again, and ours will be too if it hasn't already. Your loyalty to God will be tested. Sometimes what God calls us to and what he calls us to speak will be very hard. It, may, it might be very difficult. 
Surely it may even be impossible when you see it. And sometimes it is impossible without the Lord's uh, hand and guidance and uh, power working through us. But it's important, guys, that the truth must be spoken. And I don't know, that's always been true, but I don't know if it's more true now than it's ever been in this society and the world that we live in. The the, the truth must be spoken. You know, there's too many false prophets or or picking and choosing the words of of Scripture that we want to hear, the ones that tickle our ears, it tells us in Scripture, right? We want to hear that. We don't want to hear the stuff that's hard to hear, the stuff that convicts us. But the truth must be spoken. Right? And it was, it was idleness of Christians in the past and present that allows much of the things in the world to continue to rule in place of the Word of God. Right? And we stand, we stand by and just watch things happen. How can that happen? We're not speaking up. We're not speaking truth into this world. That's how it's happening. So if we don't speak God's Word to the world, who will? It's by our words and actions as, as the Lord speaks through us and works through us that we have the opportunity to bring light the light of Christ into this world. So as we close this morning, chapter 7, it it has three visions that's given to Amos. And there's a few key lessons. There's kind of just three different lessons for us this morning. First off, the power and importance of intercessory prayer. Okay? Don't ever ever doubt the power of intercessory prayer. Don't ever doubt the power of prayer, period. Um, Say that three times fast. Um, But... It is so important that not only are we just praying for ourselves, but praying for one another. Praying for this world, praying for those around us, praying for our church. Interceding on behalf of those who either don't believe in the Lord, have fallen away from the Lord. Um, and, and, and praying for those too that do know the Lord. Just interceding for others. So powerful. It's crucial that we have people standing in the gap and praying for one another. It's also important for us to be aligned with Christ, right? If if the Lord took the plumb line, as we were talking about this morning, and laid it next to your life. If you open God's Word and look at the truth that's revealed in God's Word and laid it next to your life, what what would it reveal in your life? Are are you standing in alignment with God, or are there areas in your life that need readjusting? Perhaps there's areas in your life that need complete destruction, taken out. And, and, And I pray that the Lord would reveal that to us this morning. That if we're not living biblically, that He would bring us into alignment with Him. And lastly, our loyalty to Christ will be tested. What God calls us to, as believers, will likely not be easy, right? And as we see the world, even in America now, there, there's kind of always been this, you know, we can have lukewarm Christians, and there's strong Christians, and there's those who don't believe, and they've kind of all blended together. There's are saying more and more now, there's, there's becoming a firm line in the sand. And that you're going to have people who are in direct opposition to, to Christianity. They're those who are, are fully for it and devoting themselves to it. But we're going to, our loyalty will be tested. Uh, it, it could be tested in the little things day by day, but it could be tested in a big way in your life. We have to know that what God calls us to is not easy. It's not always easy to speak truth. When God is calling you to speak into someone's life and you, don't, you know that it may be hard for them to hear those words, just trust Him. Lean on His power and His strength to do that. If He's calling you to do something uh, into action in some way, into service for Him in some way that, that just seems too hard to comprehend, just lean on Him for strength. You look at Amos, right? A simple, a simple shepherd and a fig picker. You know, a simple guy. No one really gave him much stock in anything and God chose him. He, he plucked him out, as it were, and said, I want you to go and speak truth to the nation of Israel. So He can use anybody. Don't doubt yourself. Um, Because God can use you and he will equip you. Where he's called you, he will equip you. I can promise you that.
but we but we must be remain loyal to the Lord in this life and in this world. And so as we close today, guys, I just uh, I just want to challenge myself and, and all of you to just be in intercessory prayer this week. You know, just just ask God if there's if you don't have maybe there's someone that you just can't think of, you know. And I know that we have a bunch of people that we can pray for, but maybe you feel like God wants to, you to pray for someone specifically this week. Just ask Him to reveal that to you, and just be in prayer for them, just throughout the day. Uh, if there's a time in your in your mornings or your evenings that you spend with the Lord, use that time as well to just pray for these people, um, because there is power there. Um, you know, I just visited my mom and my dad. Uh, this week in uh, in Chicago for for Thanksgiving and uh, just hearing some stories within the family um, of people who have been far from far from the Lord. You know, these are the people you look at and you're like, "There's no hope." You know, we look at them. There's like, "There's no hope." We'll, I guess we'll pray for them, but I just don't see anything happening. And uh, just complete 180. You know, now they're on fire for the Lord, and you're just hearing these things, and um, and it's just it's so amazing. And and. You come to find out, you know, people like my mother and um, others have just been in prayer for years and years for these people. Just just, just praying hard for them and just trusting God. And when, when, when things would get worse, right, when, when it would go from bad to worse in these people's lives, you know, they didn't lose hope. They just continued to pray for them and they see this reversal. And what an encouragement, you know, when you, when you see that and you, and you hear that in your own life. Um, if you've ever prayed for anybody for a long time and you see that, it's such an encouragement and just a reminder that God is faithful. So just, uh, if, the, if you see no hope in the situation, know that there's always hope. And just continue to pray uh, for them. Intercede on their behalf. If they're not with the Lord, of course, they're not praying for themselves. So just intercede on their behalf uh, as we know that, that, that the Lord is doing for them as well. So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you for this church and this community, Father. Lord, I just want to lift up anyone here who is just maybe struggling, just in a dogfight between what is right and what is in this world. Lord, and for, the, for those areas of our life that are out of alignment, Father, I just ask that you would reveal that to us this morning. And by your grace, that you would just remove those and help, help us overcome whatever it is that is just uh, keeping us out of alignment with you, Lord God. We just thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience. As we see throughout Scripture, I know that judgment befalls the nation of Israel, but you gave them so much patience and so much grace, and you relented from disaster so many times. Lord, and we just, I just am so thankful for that, Lord, that your hand is so quick to relent, and that you love us so much that you just desire to hear from us, Lord, and that you desire to speak to us as well. And I always think, who am I <laughs> that, that you desire to hear my voice and, and hear from me and desire to speak to me? And Lord, I just thank you that you are a God of infinite love. I just pray for the children here this morning as well who are up here with us, Father. I pray that as a church that we would just help guide and direct them and give us strength as, as parents, Lord, to um, just to lead them and teach them in the ways that they should go, Lord, and that you would be faithful to us in that. Lord, I just pray for this community and the darkness that may be surrounding it and these areas and these brokenness that, that just seems everywhere, Lord. I just ask that you would begin to pick up the pieces and heal those lives in this area, Lord. That you would use just simple people, Lord, 
who are faithful and willing to work for you and just be faithful to you, that you would just use simple people, Lord, to make a difference in this community, that we'd be people who shed lights into this community, into this world, and just reveal your truth to those around us. Again, we thank you for this time. I just ask for safety on the roads for those traveling, those who are going home after the service. Lord, I just ask that you would just give us safety on the roads as well. And we just thank you that your faithfulness just endures forever. You've never failed us and you never will. We thank you for that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.